0: Welcome to The Success Ascent. My name is Pat Mancuso, the creator and host of our show. Today we welcome Marty Strong. Now let me tell you, Marty was an amazing, amazing guest. First, he was a former Navy SEAL. He's an entrepreneur, CEO, and author of the book, Be Nimble, How the Creative Navy SEAL Mindset Wins on the Battlefield and in Business. He shared the concept of a practicing CEO. I really enjoyed that. It gives you different perspective on what it means to be a CEO. He says, there's too much time spent on poor leaders. He talks about in the military, everyone is in charge at some point of something. And he also talked about the importance of building benches. I know you're going to enjoy the episode today. So on to the ascent. Welcome to the Success Ascent. My name is Pat Mancuso, the creator and host of our show. Today, ladies and gentlemen, you are in for a treat. I want to welcome Marty Strong. Now, first, let me tell you this, Marty has served our country for over 20 years, and I could not be more grateful for Marty and the individuals who have served our country because we wouldn't get to do what we're doing today and wouldn't get to have this conversation. So I just want to acknowledge Marty and acknowledge all of our veterans. They're very, very important to us, and we wouldn't have the opportunity today that we do. So let's hear about Marty. Marty is a retired Navy SEAL and combat veteran. He's a novelist and a practicing CEO. I love that. Practicing CEO and Chief Strategy Officer. He's also the author of a number of books, including Be Nimble, How How the Creative Navy SEAL Mindset Wins on the Battlefield and in Business. And additionally, Be Visionary, Strategic Leadership in the Age of Optimization. Marty's traveled over 40 countries, been shot at in a few, I love that, uh, survived cancer twice and experienced loss of his oldest son. He has spent a lifetime of hitting challenges head-on and succeeding in three professions, anticipating crisis, and leading through crisis and chaos. So Marty, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Pat.
0: So, you know, I I think we're going to have an amazing conversation today. And before we get started, though, I always like to have some fun with my guests and say, so that was Marty on paper. Tell us something about Marty that either you know somebody might not know or something fun about Marty.
1: Probably my friends from my youth and the guys in the SEAL teams that, that I worked with, they would know that I, I like to dance. You know, and I was I was a big disco guy at one point. Um and and I liked I like to sing. And I did a lot of karaoke stuff overseas where nobody could actually Nobody knew who I was, so Love a little it. bit of anonymous karaoke. But yeah, I mean, I that that and, and I and I I'm pretty funny from time to time. Nobody that works for me knows any of that or would perceive that probably.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, now they do, and now they're going to ask you for that, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! So you know, I always like to start off the show. Obviously, our listeners, our audience, first and foremost, are entrepreneurs, business owners. And I like to go into, um, you know, like explore as a CEO of of an organization and you have three organizations, as I understand it, that you lead. What have you learned like in this journey of being a CEO? Like, what have you learned?
1: Well, you know, you you chuckled at the practicing CEO part, but uh, you know, I thought that was appropriate. Anybody that's in charge of a company, large, medium, small, doesn't really matter if they're humble enough, they realize they're practicing all the time. They're trying to get better every day. There's no school for it there. You don't go out and get a certification. You, now you are a CEO, you know, go for it. And yeah, you tend to, you know, rise like, like cream to the top eventually in, or in an organization. Sometimes you didn't in an organization, but another organization is looking for somebody just like you. And they pop you in like a cherry on the top and they say go for it. <laughs> and you know, the first thing is, okay, okay. I'm a CEO. This is great. I've always wanted to be in charge. The second thing is, Oh crap, I'm in charge. And there's nobody, there's nobody above me to blame. There's nobody above me to point fingers at. There's nobody above me to, you know, yeah. to do anything. So you have to create a um, one. You have to kind of understand that you are it. You're kind of where the buck stops. The second thing is you have to be humble enough to realize you're not going to have it all right and perfect. And you have to use all the talent that, that, that you have in your organization and outside the organization. If you really want to, First survive and then and then the sh- thrive as a CEO. And you need to have a good sense of humor. Yeah. And you need to be patient because patient and have a good perspective about the world around you because you usually don't fail as a CEO because of something that happens in the walls of your company. It's it's when you get attacked like a pandemic. Something hits you from the outside. Yeah. And you overreact, underreact, don't react at all. Yeah. and um, And if you do make a decision, and it's the wrong one, you you tend to double down on it. You don't step back and rethink it. So these are all things that are usually challenges thrown at you rather than something that bubbles up underneath you.
0: And that's, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's one thing that's hard to learn. Like you actually have to experience it, right? I mean, it's not like you go to a textbook and and you know, here's the wrong decisions and don't double down on them,
1: right? It's the same as combat leadership. They they don't I guess they did in the old days. World War II, they used to shoot bullets at the guys, trying to get them used to being shot at, believe it or not.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah, they had guys running in trenches, and they would shoot machine guns over the top of them so they could hear the snap and the pop of the bullets. But the real the real thing in combat leadership is you learn all the football plays, you learn your men, you learn all the tactics and techniques, you learn everything you need to learn Right. about everything you can learn up until the moment somebody's shooting at you. And mm-hmm. what you find out at that point is not so much about your own fear, of mortality, um, or philosophy about mortality. You realize I'm in charge and I'm in charge and responsible for all these other guys getting back alive. Yeah. And that's, that's an OJT thing. Just like being a CEO, it's an OJT thing. You can't, that's life and death, but if you're the CEO, it's, you know, it's the bottom line. It's the, the quality of the product or service that's being delivered. It's the health and welfare and sanity and happiness of all the employees that are you know waiting for you to make good decisions and and may be harmed if you make bad ones. So right unfortunately usually when you get in the CEO, you've made a lot of the basic calls, but you might have there might be some big ones you've never done before and you're gonna have to learn by doing.
0: So so we're gonna talk a little bit later about your experience in the in the you know as a Navy SEAL and what you learned and how you're applying that today as a CEO. I want to I dig a little bit further into your like entrepreneurial journey. So you're in the, the military for 20 years. You come out. And then is that when you became like a CEO of an organization?
1: No, I, I got out after 20 and went into money managing. I worked for okay. uh, two different financial firms. First as a financial advisor. And then I worked as a uh, portfolio manager for UBS. So all in about seven and a half years. Okay. Yeah. And then- yeah. And Sorry, then I did a little. Ahead. Then I did a little bit of consulting, and then I went into um, leadership positions inside inside large okay. corporations, and that's where I kind of started moving up in um, responsibility and scope of work.
0: So, as a CEO, in, 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 in as you go through this process, what do you think is the biggest ceiling that you hit that you had to learn?
1: The biggest challenge is knowing yourself in the moment. Yeah. It's the same again, I'll I'll throw it back to the combat leadership, but if you're never in that situation, even let's say you've been in the Navy for 15, 16 years, and then you see combat for the first time, that's the day you find out (laughs) if you've been in business and you've moved up in different, you've been a director and a vice president executive vice president, you know, and and then you get to that CEO position. That's the day you find out it's, it's about yourself. It's, it's an introspective moment and it's, it's. It can be lonely for some people because they always had groups and teams and a lot of support at least uh an insurance policy of support everybody else around you they're sharing all this accountability etc but you get to the top it's you you know you you drive the thing you drive the bus off the cliff your your fingerprints on the wheel so yeah i mean that's 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 probably the biggest thing you learn and you learn it really fast. Yeah,
0: because you can't learn it beforehand. Right. I mean, that's that's really what you're saying. You know, it's as a as a consultant, we do work with companies and it's one of the first things where if you think about it and and I would would love your opinion on this because you consult as well. Most organizational issues start with the leader. But if the leader doesn't know themselves, doesn't know their strengths, doesn't know them, that that's where you have to start fixing first. Would you agree or have other thoughts around
1: that? Absolutely. I've I've been in situations over the years that that's one, if you're going to have like a, uh, you know, a secret, a secret formula for success, it's been look at the leaders, that the leaders just aren't cutting it, get a good quality leader in there and they'll shake that whole pyramid of performance and execution. They'll work it out. Yep. good leaders good leaders have a huge positive effect and bad leaders have the exact opposite effect and i think we we spend too long trying to reform bad leaders and yeah. i mean when i say bad i don't mean bad like evil i mean bad like they're not ready it yeah. wasn't it wasn't their time you know Right. and it could be their style it could be their communications approach it could be their risk tolerance it could be no risk tolerance i mean there's there's all kinds of different angles and dangles there that would define what would be bad
0: do you think this is just a question? And again, I don't want to jump too far into the what you're doing now. But um, you know, I've had the opportunity to talk and interview a few leaders on our podcast, and you know, come in contact with uh, folks that were in the military, leaders specifically. The training that you all go through—I mean, you mentioned earlier that a leader has got the life, the lives of their their followers, if you may, the people that they're leading in their hands. Do you think that gives a different perspective? Although it's not life and death in a business, there really are some, you know, significant implications.
1: Well, if there's anything that the military teaches you, and that's that doesn't matter, you don't have to be an officer, but everybody that stays in the military for even four years ends up being in charge of something and somebody. Mm, okay. So you learn you learn a lesson even if it's a short period of time or whether you stay in 20 years, and regardless of your rank. And basically you learn to take care of the people around you you learn to be prepared yourself so that you're not letting the people around you down. You are a contributor as a part of a team. The team can't function well without you contributing and contributing to the standard that the, that the team's expecting. So there's kind of a cross commitment in as a leader, making sure people are ready. And as an individual, making sure you're ready and that's just instilled in you. That's, that's the military experience. So when you come out, it's a part of your DNA. You can't, Decide when you get a job in the commercial sector, I'm just not going to care about all those things you you want to be squared away. You want to have your act together. You want to be informed. You want to be on top of the game before a meeting before, you know, uh, an event. You want to um, look out for the people under you. you want to make sure that they're all being trained, being stimulated, being mentored, being coached, because you see it as a team. You see it as a great right. effort to rise to a standard and and hold that standard and perform.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this question. If if you could go back to your 20-year-old version of you, if that 20-year-old version of you was sitting in front of you and said, hey, Marty, I'd like some advice, like as a leader, like what advice would you give that 20-year-old?
1: I would say go to every leader you can find. And in those days, of course, I was a SEAL. Every leader you can find in your chosen profession and ask Questions until they either kick you kick you out of their office, or you run out of questions and keep doing it over and over and over again because there's an incredible wealth of knowledge, yeah, and depth of understanding with existing leaders that have that have walked the walk, and if, you know all the things we're talking about here in a very short period of time. If you if you walk up there and you're humble and you say, "Look, I just want to learn. Tell me what you can. Tell me what you know. Tell right. me what you can tell me." I did that. Later, more, especially when I became a young officer, because there weren't any books about some of the things I was running into, even, you know, even in the military, there was a lot of, you know, how complicated do you, do you plan mission? Is there a scale of one to 10 on complicated, you know, do you make it super, super simple like Fred Fred Flintstone or do you go all the way to Jetson's level and make it super cool and complicated? Well, there's, there's pros and cons to all of that. And, and, you know, nobody was really explaining that. Nobody was saying you should have a philosophy that's here, you know, a level seven. And, you know, so I went around, start started talking to people yeah. and these, and these people were from lots of different periods of time in the SEAL teams and had a lot of different kinds of experience in Vietnam and other places. And there's some common truths that you pick up after you've asked the same questions over and over again. And then you pick up the kind of nuance and the difference in their particular okay. experience and the, and the journey they took. Yeah. I would have started much earlier. Okay. 20 years old would have been good instead of maybe 27, 28. Okay. Yeah. And I would have been ahead of the game if I did that.
0: So I'm going to put you on the spot. I apologize, but I love to do this. And I know you'll be able to handle it because if you were a CEO, you can handle anything, right? If there were one or two questions that you would coach somebody to ask a leader, if they had that opportunity to interview the leader and gain knowledge, any questions kind of rise to the top?
1: First question would be, why do you want to lead? Great question. It's a telling question. I mean, if it's all about the box, if it's about, yeah. well, wow, I always want to see my name at the top of the org chart, that's very superficial and it, that's not going to really sustain, sustain you through all the hard times that you're going to have because all leaders have have difficult times. Right. Uh, the second one would be if you could change anything about your leadership style, if you pick the one thing yep. and you could focus on and you could change it, what would that one attribute, character, trait, what would that be? Okay. Usually between those two, I would, I would know whether they have a shallow commitment or a deeper commitment and whether or not they are humble enough to recognize they have something that they should, they should improve in. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes the answer is I'm good to go. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty square. (laughs) I know everything. And then of course the other part of that answer is if they are humble and, and hand you that, that answer, you say, okay, well now I know where to start. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you for that. I knew you'd, you'd deliver at a high level. So let's shift gears because this is really, I, I really uh, uh, am excited about this. So you've led organizations and you've led people in the military and, you know, for many years and as a business executive, what would you say is the single biggest difference in the two par- different paradigms?
1: Well, the first one would be what I mentioned earlier that Leaders and all military people eventually have to be leaders. Leaders in the military are focused on the well-being of the team, accomplishing a mission together, and everybody is committed to each other and the leaders should be committed to the team and, and vice versa. That's the first thing. A, that's not normally seen in the commercial world. It's, it's, it's hard to hammer that out out, right. of a grou- of, out of a group of disparate people that have just kind of jumbled together over time that have different reasons for being at a, at a particular job. Okay. Um, the second thing is in the, in the, in the military, they hand you your people, fully qualified, ready to go, motivated, <laughs> right? They, they'll, I mean, in the SEAL teams, they'll still argue with you because they're, they're real smart guys and you know, they right. have great, great ideas. But if, and I've discussed this a lot recently, if, if I lost a guy, let's say a guy broke his leg right, and, and he was a communications guy and my secondary sniper, and he spoke French. I could go down the hallway four minutes, you know, four minutes later, they've got a name for a guy who's got all those things. And he'll be there tomorrow morning and he'll be fully trained, fully qualified, you know, same yeah. experience level. And it's like a Pez dispenser and you just stick them into your team and you keep going. So when you get out and you get into the commercial world, oh my God, it's it's yeah. like some kind of a video game, searching for talent, you know, you're
0: right. You know, right.
1: Oh, that, that that's not going to work or that's not going to work or that source doesn't, didn't didn't pan out or, wow, he was really good at interviewing but man, what happened afterwards? You know, you learn all this stuff that the regular, you know, non-military world has lived with yeah. forever, that it's hard to find good people that have all those attributes you're looking for.
0: So, so then that goes to something again, I, I would love your perspective on this, that we, our view of this is that that's why organizations always have to be building benches and they always have to be looking at that talent in the organization and where is that next sniper? Where is, you know, would you would you agree with that? And that's what organizations struggle with?
1: I absolutely agree. In uh, my first book, Being Nimble, there, I allude to it all through the book one way or the other, because it's kind of a core philosophy of mine, but cross-training after the core training is accomplished to whatever standard you need, then you cross-train you know, small steps first, and then eventually get everybody multi-trained in at least two or three um, capabilities. And sometimes it's knowledge-based, sometimes it's a skill, because that builds the resiliency of the organization. That also means you can start cross-pollinating project teams.
0: Right.
1: Otherwise, you have the same people in the same project team all the time because you need, you know, you need, you know, a chief, a cook, and a bottle washer. You know, you you need these three separate people all the time. Instead of having one person walk in, and, and the individuals i found respond, most individuals respond very favorably to it. They're not used to it. Mm-hmm. They're a little suspicious that you're going to load them up with things they weren't qualified for that, that didn't line up on their resume.
0: Yep.
1: Once they realize you're not going to, you know, do a gotcha on them, they, they start saying, well, this is pretty cool. I'm, I'm, I got my day job. I'm here in cubicle 72 doing my day job. And then I got a meeting on a project and then this afternoon, I got a meeting on another project and it mixes it up and I'm contributing and I'm a part of a bigger, a bigger picture, you know, a bigger uh, collaboration in the performance of the company.
0: So let's compare the two again a little bit in the military. If you've got somebody who's leading, who's not leading, let's say at the highest level, maybe doesn't have the skill level. Like, what do they do in the military with that individual?
1: Yeah, it's called a firing squad. Okay. No, I'm, I, no, I'm kidding. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe. I mean, hey. No, no, knows? no. Not, not even metaphorically. Back to what I said about making sure everybody keeps up and catches up and maintains a standard. You, you always train your replacement in the military. You're always training your replacement. And... So I don't care if you're a four-star four-star admiral four-star general you're training the three-star three-stars training the next the next the two-star to be the next three-star you have an obligation at leadership all the way down to the corporals training the privates so that someday they can step up and be corporals so you maybe a little bit too much enabling I would say okay especially from the commercial standpoint yeah. but you have but you have time and it's also the culture and the tradition of the military to take that time and to try to figure out a way to make that leader work.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if we applied that in the, the commercial side, the business side, how much stronger would our organizations be?
1: Well, they'd be a lot stronger. There'd still be some more enabling. Enabling is expensive on the commercial side. So what do you mean by enabling? Enabling would be, okay, you have a bad leader, and it's clear that they're, they're not doing very well. So you could get a good leader in there tomorrow right but you don't you keep them
0: yes you
1: work with them you yeah. you try to you try to smooth off the the rough edges you try to get other people to mentor them you try to coach them you try to give them new opportunities you yeah you know, all those things and meanwhile if they still haven't changed that much all the people working for them are suffering
0: right
1: <laughs> right and that's the enabling part they they see you as not taking care of them and not making the decision that should have been made a month ago, two months ago, because they're not appreciating this whole thing about training and replacement. They're only saying, they're only seeing their own misery. So, Mm. but it takes time to do that. And it's expensive in the commercial arena to spend all that time. It could be expensive as a, as a cascading effect on other operations and things, not just the time that you're spending as a leader with another leader sitting in a room and not managing the business you're in there. Yeah.
0: It's probably more expensive with the cascading effect on an organization.
1: Depends on how long it goes. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I've, I have been accused and I've been guilty of enabling on the commercial side more in the first 10 years. But because I couldn't stop being who I was coming out of the military, you know, you you leave no one, you know, mm-hmm. you leave no one behind. Right. Yeah. So you don't just say, wow, you know, Phil's a little slower than the rest of us. Sorry, Phil. And you just keep running when right. Phil gets Phil gets captured or killed you you figure out a way to carry Phil to the end of the the end of the mission. so that's the way you think about all of your people and that's yep. the way you think about including leaders it doesn't change so
0: sure.
1: so I probably hang on too long. I've probably hung on I know I've hung on too long in my professional past outside of the military, but you know that's just the way I was when, well no
0: that was what you were programmed for 20 years yeah. right and i mean and that programming i mean that that was the life and death right and then, so was. so i get that so then let me ask you this around that so what caused you then to have that like aha moment or flip that switch and go yeah that's what we did in the military but we can't do that here the same way
1: i had a master chief seal who was my coo and he uh this is a guy who's uh got an MBA from a a major university. I think he did 22 or 23 years. Sat me down and said, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a talk. Like I'm the master chief. And he said, he said, boss, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get out of our way. Let us do what we got to do. Cause some of these people that you're trying to protect and getting, telling us to give them more time, more time, it's messing the whole place up. And I realized, you know, he was right. And, and then, you know, the, like you said before you know if the leaders attitudes philosophies what they what they think is important what they think is not important that that trickles down everybody gets it right sure so if i'm the chief enabler and i run that way pretty soon everybody's enabling it's not just me it's all the way down yeah. you know, there's yeah. there's no nobody makes a hard call you know so cuz marty's wow. not going to make a hard call he's going to try to re- repurpose this person six different ways before
0: it's yep. too late
1: you know yeah. so you know there's a there's a balance i think sure. i don't think you have to go to you jettison everybody with a, you know, with some kind of a diabolical device, you just push a button and they're gone. And you replace them.
0: <laughs> the floor trap, right? They're, yeah. They're, yeah. Boom. They're gone.
1: But I, I also realized that the best place to avoid that, that whole dynamic is the job design. Right. And where you, where you put that job in the organization and the early vetting and sure. recruiting process, you know, measure 15 times before you hire, you know, because if you bring somebody in that's a cultural fit, energy fit, technical fit, all those kinds of things, the likelihood they're going to be they're going to need to be, you know, the benefit a beneficiary of enabling is is sure. really really low.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, so it's, it's all the work up front. So, um you're doing a lot of great work today obviously writing books. It, now, like tell me what the biggest things you're teaching organizations and leaders right now about dealing with chaos. Cause clearly we have a little bit of chaos, right? I mean, you know, like, you know, we won't even get into the the last couple of years and just all the social things. And so what are you what are the big things you're teaching leaders right now?
1: Yeah, you know, my my primary, I guess, method is to explain to people that they need to take time to think of the big picture every day, which most don't. Uh, most businesses don't have strategies. And if they have strategies, they're written and put on a shelf and they're never looked at. Okay. And they're not usually true strategies. They're usually just a list of, of metrics and financial numbers, and that's it.
0: Sure.
1: Uh, a, a, you know, a strategy, where we're going to become the number one, whatever we're going to be within 36 months in, you know, quality and culture and this and that. Okay. That, that's, that's a bunch of noble um, noble aims. Right. But usually organizations are so busy, especially nowadays, they're so busy. There's so much competition. Mm-hmm. Things are moving so fast. They feel it's a luxury to take a couple of minutes, a couple of minutes at any time, you know, and, and think of the big picture. Think, look at the horizon, do a 360 degree kind of turn. Who am I up against? Who are my allies? Who, Who are the, who are the competitors that are eating my lunch? Who's on the horizon that could eat my lunch? What are the opportunities laying out there? Yeah. And then, you know, and then, okay. And then pull yourself back in to the day. And if you start doing that as a habit, as a leader, you'll find that within about a month, you'll start recognizing everybody around you and everybody below you, and maybe some of the people above you have no horizontal perspective. They're all focused on what we'd call in the teams, the short target, the three foot, three foot target. So, you know, if, if your to-do list only goes to Friday, you're definitely one of those people and you don't have to be a CEO to think strategically and think, you know, I guess. Aspirationally, right. so you know, my second book, Be Visionary, is a big focus on that because optimization, which is me- measuring and metrics and KPIs and all these things, has actually kind of distorted management to where it's all about you know counting how many chickens are in the coop, right? And how right. Many feather and how many feathers there are in the chicken. So, I, I basically make a case that optimization mm-hmm. is actually kind of the enemy of strategic thinking and visionary thinking. Take the time. I, I suggest 20 minutes a day. Doesn't matter when you do it; just do 20 minutes a day. It, it actually changes the way your brain perceives. It's kind of like the uh, if somebody says, "You know, let's see how many Volkswagen Beetles we can find." Suddenly, you start seeing them everywhere, right? Oh, sure.
0: That's how the brain works. Yeah. Right.
1: Because really your, your your mind will focus on it, and that's the same thing in this case. It's not a huge a huge uh, investment in time. 20 minutes. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, 20 minutes a day. You know, five days a week, four weeks a month. 12 months a year adds up, right? And most people don't do 20 minutes a day in a year, right? So I right. mean, yeah, it seems like a small number and yet it's a big number. Um, so, I'm, oh my gosh, we could probably talk to you for hours. I know I could. So let me shift gears. Um, what's the best advice that you've ever been given?
1: And the best advice I've ever been given is when you don't know something, ask. And the best way to do that is to to seek somebody that is considered knowledgeable right. and go to go to them on bended knee and beg for information and 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 training where whatever they'll give you. That's yeah. that's it. And again, that's back to that humility thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well yeah, exactly. It ties into that. So let's flip it upside down. This one's always interesting. I say what's the worst advice that you've ever been given that hopefully you didn't follow. And if you did follow it, what did you learn?
1: Uh let's see. The worst advice is to trust to the technical professionals in HR. Let them do their job. They will make sure we get the right people in the building.
0: That's absolutely the worst advice.
1: (laughs) Nothing against HR people, but
0: they're
1: they're not big on cultural fit. And dynamic organizations, you know, being able to deal with chaos and crisis, you need to have a dynamic group of people around you that are willing to you know, kind of run to the sound of the, of the alarm and say, what do you need right. us to do? You know, well, how can we help? And that's a mindset and that, that collective mindset in one room is a culture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, and I 100% agree with you. I 100% agree. Well, Marty, um you know what, I'm going to ask you for a final thought here in just a second. So I want you to collect that, that amazing stuff that uh, you've experienced um listeners you know we so appreciate you and appreciate you listening whether it's live or you know following us on all the major channels we're every place um i always share with people you know um, go leave us a rating follow us and uh, you'll get all of our updates we have some amazing amazing guests um in the past and moving forward so we just so appreciate your support and that's why we do this we just uh, absolutely love giving back and helping people and you know, just like Marty today, uh, our guests are amazing and they provide so much content. So, so Marty, take us away. I'd love to have your final thought. I know you're going to share some information where people can go to find more about you. And so what would be your final thought?
1: So um, if you go to martystrongbenimble.com, I've got a lot of articles, access to my business books there, a little bit about me, and I keep that updated on a pretty regular basis. But at the very bottom of the homepage, you're going to see that there are two covers. One's for a, a science fiction series of novels that I've written. The other one's for a a series of SEAL novels that I've written. I'm Mm -hmm. 60% through the fifth SEAL novel right now. All the proceeds from those novels, and I write under ML Strong when I write the novels, all the proceeds of those novels goes to the SEAL Veterans Foundation, and specifically Mm -hmm. the uh, programs that address TBI, traumatic brain injury, and PTSD. So when you're buying a book or you're listening to the book on audio, you're your money's going to those programs.
0: Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing. And, uh, what, what a, a, a great, um, you know, a great way to contribute and give back. So give us your final thought.
1: Well, if everybody out there just takes my advice and thinks about life, the big picture of life for about 20 minutes a day, and then thinks about that, that, advice I got that was the best advice ever I ever had if you don't know something go find somebody who who does you know humble yourself you know practice intellectual humility and listen yeah and and I tell you the world will open up for you well I think
0: I think we have we've got such opportunity right now and I think a lot of people need to take that advice so I, I think it's just great advice well, Marty, again, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your service and all the, the folks that have served our country. We so appreciate that. We appreciate you. And we appreciate you contributing today. So thank you so much for being
1: here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Pat. It's been fun. Listen, my pleasure. Uh, as
0: I end every show, be happy, be healthy, be safe until the next time we talk. Take care, everyone. Thank you for joining us on The Ascent today can find us at any of your favorite podcast sources. You can also subscribe to get updates and additional pieces of value that we send out at www.thesuccessasset.com. Thanks so much for your support. Please leave us a review. Have an amazing day. Take care.